without further ado, Andy Manzo, everybody. Thank you, yes. Thank you for the applause. Appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Buffalo. Um, and uh, I, I would say that I was sort of like a typical, typical suburb kid. Um, you know, my family had a tradition of Christianity, very respectful of God. Nobody ever said anything bad, but it also wasn't very substantive. Um, you know, we, we didn't pray at home. I, I think that's pretty normal, right? Uh, we didn't pray at home. We didn't, like, study the Bible or anything, but m my dad was very respectful of my mom. We went to church regularly, um, but it just didn't, like, it didn't really carry over into our personal lives. Uh, and so what did carry over was the party scene, uh, and I had no trouble following that. That was, uh, that was actually very easy to follow. And uh, so I, uh, I did what every uh, young-blooded American does when they want to get organized about their party life. I joined a fraternity when I was in college. And, um, and when I was a junior, I can't really explain uh, what happened, but I sort of hit rock bottom in the party scene. And existentially, in my existence, I was in crisis. Now, if on the outside, you know, I still had my little alligator. This is the, you know, the 80s. You know, I still had my little alligator shirts on and my boat shoes. Uh, and, 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 and had my, my moulet, you know, in the 80s, everybody had a moulet. So uh, I, I had that rocking. But uh, internally, I was in crisis. And I felt I would talk. I actually was so bad, and no one ever did this, but I was so much in crisis that I started talking to my fraternity brothers about what they do when they feel empty inside. Like, can you help? Can you imagine going into one of the fraternity houses at UCSD and say, uh, hey, can you help me? Uh, I feel really lonely inside and, and sort of uh, broken. And they would just say, well, you just need to party more. That's the answer. And that's all they could give me. They gave me all they could give me. And fortuitously or providentially, I met a staff person with Crew or Campus Crusade, it was called back then. And the staff person said that, you know, he, he basically said, Andy, the only way that you're going to find the life that you're looking for is if you stop looking in the places that you're looking. Those places can't give you life. And then he said, he quoted John chapter 7, uh, Jesus speaking, stands up at the greatest day in the feast and says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink and streams of living water will flow from within him. And it was like talking to this Christian guy, it was like it clicked and I just said, I'm thirsty. That's what it is. And I keep going to the party scene to quench my thirst and it's not working. And I'm a social person. I'm an extrovert. I love people. But when you try to get life out of it, it just leaves you dry every time. And so just time after time after time, going back to that well, just going back to that well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it just left me broken. And, and so this guy told me another source. Come to me and drink. And so, boom, conversion happened. Radical conversion. Everybody thought I was crazy. My fraternity brothers thought I was crazy. My parents thought I was crazy. And my brother thought it. My brother hated me for a long time just because I was like, hey, you need Jesus. You need living water. You know, you know, you go through that stage. You guys go through that stage. 
you know, uh, right after you're saved, you just talk to everyone. So anyway, that's, that's how I got here. Uh, I, fast forward uh, from there is I joined staff with Campus Crusade, and now I work with military students committed, uh, students committed to the military after graduation. So it's a ministry called Valor. I'm working with them. So that's how I got to them. I'm very, I'm an aspiring church planter, and Obed has been sweet enough to, um, to sort of let me come alongside and be his friend, and he, we talk shop sometimes about church planting. And you know anybody who wants to church plant in North Park, San Diego, you let me know, because I'm interested. Okay, enough about me. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to jump into our text. Dear Lord, I pray... Um, that you would speak enough about me, let's focus on you. And so as we open your word, I pray that you would meet each person here, that you would speak to them. Just like that guy Les spoke to me in 1988, I pray that you would speak right now through your word to each one of us, including me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke well-known story, Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read from the ESV. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we're going to go through 11. Okay. Very well-known story of the miraculous catch of fish with the apostle Peter. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Okay, pause. Just one thing I want to remind you guys, or, or to call to your attention, to your reflection. While the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, in his early ministry, is incredibly popular. I mean, I, I think sometimes we, 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 we sort of feel sorry for Jesus. Oh, poor little Jesus. No one wants to follow you. You know what I mean? I'll follow you. Nobody else does. Jesus is, you know, the Rolling Stones in 1967. You know, Jesus is the Beatles with people, you know, the, the people getting off the plane and going into like hysteria. In fact, Jesus is so popular by the end of the Gospel of Luke that the crowds are literally trampling one another to get to see him. So Jesus is not a hippie with Birkenstocks on with, you know, like no one interested, right? This is, this is, this is, for people to trample one another, uh, you, there has to be a sense of excitement. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, Jesus is so popular that in John's gospel, it says that, um, that he has to hide from the crowd because they're going to make him king by force. So that's the kind of influence that Jesus has. I mean, like, you know, sort of like... The, like the first rock star, in, in the sense of he's hiding from the crowd. He's not promoting himself to the crowd. I mean, like, I'm trying to start a church. I'm, I'm like, trying to promote, you know what I mean? 
Jesus is hiding. That's like, the, that's like sort of the height of popularity is when you're trying to get away from the, the crowds. Um, and so in this section right here, this is like the beginning of the crest of his popularity. And so they're pressing in on him and they got him pressed in at the edge of the lake of Gennesaret. So there's no place else to go. And so Luke wants you to know we're, we're sort of at the edge of what Jesus can, can, his capacity as one man. Which brings us to another question I want to uh, call to your attention before we read the rest of this story. Which is, Jesus, in his incarnation, in his flesh, Jesus has limited himself to what he can do with people. You think about, Jesus has one life. He doesn't have many lives in his incarnation. Now, he exists eternally. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come back again. But Jesus has one life. In fact, his ministry is three years long. So he has a three-year ministry that lasts that's 36 months. So you have to ask yourself the question, how is Jesus going to meet this demand? Because the demand is greater than the supply. The crowds are crowding in on him. And if you think about not just these, these people during this time, but all the people who are going to live through all the generations, now it's been 2,000 years, how are we going to bring the message of Christ to all of these people that need to hear it? What is the what is the solution? Because already we're at the edge of what one man can do. Now, of course, he's the God-man. Don't, don't hear me wrong. This is the God-man. But we're at the, we're at the very limits of what, man, what one man can do. So now the question becomes, what is Jesus' plan to reach all of the thousands, billion people that live on the face of the earth through 2,000 years? I believe the answer is actually in this text. Okay, that was a really, really long way of getting to verse 2. Okay, so Jesus pressed against the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, this Simon we know is Simon Peter. And Jesus has already met Simon Peter. So this isn't isn't some guy who just randomly walks onto somebody's boat. Jesus and Simon Peter have already met earlier in this text. In fact, Jesus has done a healing for one of, for one of Peter's relatives. So uh, this, is, this is very much appropriate for Jesus to get on his boat to do this. Okay. So Jesus gets on his boat and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. All right, as you guys know, some of you guys were in San Diego. There's got to be a few fishermen in here. The fish bite at, my, at night, 
because it's safe from predators. They don't bite during the day. So Peter said, Peter, who's a fisherman, says, uh, look, you know, um, this is not a good idea to, to go fishing in the middle of the day. Secondly, I just want to ask you guys, how do you feel after a long day of work? Okay, these guys are packing up. They're washing their nets. They've worked all night. Has anybody ever pulled an all-nighter? Okay, you're not in a good mood. Like, I'm sure he's washing his nets, and he's just thinking about uh, going home, eating a warm meal, getting some sleep. So this, this, is not, this is not a good idea if it doesn't work. Um, secondly, I guess just want to ask, how do you feel after a long day when you've failed? How do you feel after a long day of work when things did not go well? Okay, emotionally, the, emotionally Simon Peter, uh, he's not in the mood for this. This is not, oh, Jesus is performing miracles. I'm so excited. This is a guy who wants to go home, right? Um, and I think it's important to, uh, to call that to the attention, to your attention. So uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, your, your nets, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will net, let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all the people that were with him, or for he and all who were with him, were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And when they had brought their nets to land, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, so there is the resolve intention, right? Jesus says, From now on, you will catch men. Just like you used to use all of your energy and all of your focus and all of your creativity to catching fish, from now on, you will apply all of that to catching men. In fact, Peter, this whole episode has been a case study of how I am employing you in the future kingdom. I mean, can you see Jesus? Like, I mean, Peter, I love, Peter's my favorite character. I, I, I'm convinced that people are either the Apostle Paul, which is like they sort of have it all together. They're, they're the J on the Myers-Briggs. They're the planners. You know, they make lists and, ch- ch- you know, check them off. And then there's Peter's like me, you know. Lord, shall I swoop, strike with my sword? You know, like Peter is... Peter gets rebuked by Jesus several times. So I'm convinced that people are either uh, uh, Paul's or Peter's. But I love Peter here because Jesus says, hey, you know, Peter, don't you see that this entire episode is a case study? You see 
the crowds are coming after me. You see the crowd of fish in the boat. You see how the crowds, Peter, are pressing in on me. You see the crowd of fish have crowded into these nets. You see how you're fishing for fish. You see how I'm calling you to fish for men. You're meant to learn from this episode. It's the answer to how I plan on reaching the world. Now, let me walk you through a couple steps on how he plans to do this. Let me just review with you really quickly. Here are the main points of this story. The crowd presses in, so Jesus gets into Peter's boat. So Peter's boat becomes like the, the, um, the, the, the new sort of way for Jesus to, to, like, he uses the boat as a platform for the crowd. So the crowd's too big, so he gets into the boat, and he comes out, and he uses that boat as like a platform, a pulpit, to teach the people. Jesus requests from Peter to let down his nets, but Peter, Peter claims that that's sort of impossible, that fish don't bite during the day. This is highly unlikely that this is going to happen, but Peter goes anyway. The miraculous catch and the nets are breaking. So Peter calls James and John over to him, and they fill both the boats so that they're sinking. And then Jesus enlists Peter, James, and John into kingdom service. So now, let me just ask the question one more time. What is Jesus' plan to reach the crowds? What is Jesus' plan to reach all of these thousands and millions, and now we have billions of people on on the earth? Let's look at this from the broader scope of the New Testament. Peter's boat. Jesus gets into Peter's boat. What's going on here? Well, Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, Your name is Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. In John chapter 16, the disciples are sad that Jesus says, I'm going to the cross and I'm going away. Remember John 16 is this big goodbye to the disciples? And Jesus says to the disciples, It is better for you if I go away. Because when I go away, my father will send the counselor to you. He will be with you. He will lead you into truth. So Jesus chooses Peter's boat. And Jesus enters that boat. And he preaches to the multitudes. Secondly, the impossibility of the task. This 
this miraculous catch of fish doesn't happen because of Peter's skill. Think about when Peter stands up and preaches to the crowd in Acts chapter 2. And he says to them, you know, um, uh, you know, men of Israel, we are not drunk as you suppose. Remember they accuse him of being drunk? We are not drunk as you suppose. But the one whom you've crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. And the people are cut to the heart and they say, what shall we do? And Jesus says, repent and be baptized. So Jesus uses Peter's boat as a pulpit, as you look at the broader uh, sense of the New Testament, this is fulfilled in the beginning of the church, in the preaching of the apostle Peter. Think about the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus says, this is impossible. You can't do this. This is highly unlikely that fish in the middle of the day are going to get into a boat. And so many fish are caught that the nets are breaking. Do you remember how many people are converted at Peter's first sermon? Does anybody remember? 3,000. Think about that. There's how many people here? Maybe 60? 3,000. Imagine 3,000 people being converted in one day. What is Jesus' plan to reach the multitudes? It is to get in Peter's boat. It is not because Peter has any, uh, you know, uh, gifting or any special proclivity to this. Peter is not a, 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 a um, Peter is not a secret genius, right? Peter's a moody fisherman. I don't want to do this. It's been a long day. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter is not a secret genius. Peter is nothing. But Jesus gets into his boat, and then he preaches, and thousands are converted. As a matter of fact, the church is so popular, as, as it goes out from Jerusalem, remember it starts in Jerusalem, and it goes out into the broader Mediterranean, it bridges the Gulf from Jewish into Gentile territory, and that's where you and I sort of come in, the uh, people group strain. But it's so popular that when the Apostle Paul and the other, the other uh, evangelists get to Thessalonica in Greece, the men of Thessalonica are so upset, and the quote is, the people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now think about how unlikely this is. These are fishermen. These are tax collectors. They have no power in their society. And no one wants them to do this. Right? They're opposed at every single turn. As a matter of fact, some of them are killed. Stephen is stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. And at every point, the church spreads. Why? Not because these guys are so great, but because Jesus entered the boat and Jesus preached to the crowd through the apostles. Okay, let me just say one more thing on this, um, 
on this point, which is um, just on Peter's sin. Um, just to remind you that Peter doesn't bring anything to the table on this. And Peter motions to James and John to help them, and the other boats come, and they together uh, move towards the shore to bring in this miraculous catch of fish. Okay, so the answer is obvious by now. What is Jesus' plan to meet the overwhelming demand of the crowd? How does he plan on reaching the billions with the word of God? Answer, it is the church. It is the church. The church is the vessel that Jesus has chosen to fill with his presence. And Jesus uses it to preach the word of God. The founding of the church by the spirit of Christ through the lives of the apostles, recorded in the pages of the Holy Scriptures, has yielded miraculous results. So your conversion, if, if you're a Christian here this morning, your conversion can be traced back to the Apostle Peter and James and John. You know, the church is built on the, apost- uh, the preaching of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. When I told you about Les, the guy who came to me and shared with me, he didn't, he wasn't a spiritual guru. He didn't figure out these things on his own. In fact, when he shared with me, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to give a prognosis or a diagnosis on your condition. You're telling me your condition, you're not doing very well. I'm going to give you a prognosis on it. And then what did he do? He just quoted from John chapter 7. He quoted from the Apostle John. He quoted from the fisherman, the Apostle John. That's all he did. And your conversion, if we, if we could get everyone up here to tell their story, your conversion would have the same thing. Your conversion is traced to the apostles and prophets. Someone shared with you the truth about Jesus. Now, did they do it perfectly? Probably not. Did they, uh, you know, were, were they apostolic? Did they write flawless words? No, they didn't. No, they probably made a lot of mistakes. You know, we probably hear some, some, some sort of uh, sordid stories too. But ultimately, you and I trace our, um, trace our, our lineage to the apostles and the prophets, whom Jesus filled with his spirit and brought us the word of God. Now, let me just, um, let me just give you guys a couple things uh, as we reflect on this. Um, okay, the first one is this. Jesus has chosen the church as his instrument. There's nothing special in the church. In fact, the church is filled with sinners. There's nothing special about the Apostle Peter. I hope you guys see that from the, this text. You know, we, we, we've talked about this. This is a sinful person. You guys read the news today. The church, there's all kinds of scandals going on in the church right now. Um, and I, I just 
that, that's not an excuse. Scandals are awful and they need to be brought to account. But I don't want you to be discouraged because the church is filled with dudes like the Apostle Peter. Lord, should we strike with our sword? I mean, ready, fire, aim. That's Peter's philosophy. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter is a denier. Peter denies Jesus three times. He's a coward. Even if I have to die with you, I will never fall away from you. And then, uh, you know, a few hours later, he can't even tell a servant girl, you know, a, a little teenage girl that he's a follower of Jesus. So the church is filled with sinners, which makes this story really remarkable that Jesus chooses to use the church. But let me say one more thing, which is this. It's a very popular saying among millennials. And I, I'm Jen, Jen, I'm a baby buster, I think. I can't, I'm 50, whatever that is, baby buster. But I think it started with my, I, I, I prefer 80s generation. We're the 80s generation. I grew up in the 80s. Um, but there's a very, like you guys have sort of made a mantra of this saying. So it started with my generation, but you guys have, you guys have made money off it. And the mantra goes like this. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, right? This is like a favorite, like this is all over. People get tattoos that say that, right? Um, and, and so there's one thing I want to say. If, if that's your mantra, or if this is the mantra of, of your friends, if you mean by that this, which a lot of people that I talk to, they mean this, that I believe in Jesus I believe in the spiritual truths of Jesus. What Jesus says is true, and I believe it. But I don't believe in the church. Look at all the abuses that the church has done. Look at, um, look at, look at the, uh, just look at the news today. The church is an awful place. I'm not into institutions. I, yes, I accept Jesus because I'm a spiritual person. But I don't, ex ex uh, I don't accept the church. I don't accept the church as an institution. My friends are my church. You, you, you know, the, the people who love me are my church. The beach is my church, right? The mountains are my church, right? So I just want to, I, I realize this is, this is challenging, but I just want to ask you guys in this story right here, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Jesus is in Peter's boat. Where does Jesus perform the miracle? Jesus performs the miracle in Peter's boat. What does he use? He uses Peter's nets. He stays in Peter's boat until James and John come to help them. Okay? So help me understand. I guess this is just a challenge. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to scream. I'm not a screamer. Just, but just put scream implied if you're taking notes. Scream, scream implied. How do you square your accepting Jesus with your not accepting the church? With this text. Because Jesus is in Peter's boat. So how could you say... I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're not 
connected to the local church. So here, here's, the, here's the very scary question, so I'll whisper this. I'll whisper this right here, okay? If you're spiritual but not religious, and if you mean by that you accept Jesus but not the church, at best you're wrong. Because the church is Christ's bride and you cannot accept the groom and reject the bride. So at worst, at the, in, in, a, in a worst, worst case scenario, you're mistaken. Or, or I'm sorry, in a best case scenario, you're mistaken. In a worst case scenario, you're not a Christian. You've deceived yourself by a mantra that's started by the 80s generation. And you think that you can be a follower of Christ. You think that you can accept the groom and reject the bride, and you can't. Imagine going to a wedding and saying, hey, Bill, you look awesome today. Your bride, I totally reject her. Imagine that. Impossible. You would never do it. You would never have the nerve, even if you thought about doing it, you would never have the nerve to do that. When you see Bill, you're like, excuse me, your wife is so gorgeous that I, look at you. That's the way you treat the bride. Bill, I don't want to talk to you right now. Look at this bride. That's Christ's picture of the church. So again, best case scenario, you're deceived. The worst is you're not a Christian at all because you've rejected the means that God has chosen to house you as he makes his way to heaven's shore. That's you and me. Somebody caught us. Somebody caught me. I was like a fish. I got caught in a big net, and now I'm making my way, built on the uh, foundation of the apostles, prophets, to heaven's shore. Okay, last thing I'll say. Obed, where, where are we at? Do I need to get out of here? Two minutes? Five minutes. Okay. Last thing I'll say right this, and we're going we're gonna to close up in prayer. Second thing that I'll say is, is um, I've, I've been on staff with, with crew for 27 years. So um, I just have tons and tons and tons and tons and hours and hours and hours of experience in evangelism. Like, I haven't even said it strong enough how much uh, evangelism that I've done in my time. But I just want to remind you of this. What does Jesus say to Peter? Don't worry. From now on, what? You will be a fisher of men. So he doesn't say, I command you to be a fisher of men. Right? Jesus has appointed you a fisher of men. So it's already appointed. It's already done. You're a fisher of men. So you can't, like, you can't say, well, I'm going to leave it up to some guy who's been with, you know, a ministry for 27 years. He's the fisher of men, but not me. No, everybody is a fisher of men. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced just here's my experience Take it or leave it for what you want. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, of the opinion that everyone is a fisherman. 
everyone is angling. You know, that, that, that's another name for a fly fisherman is an angler. Ooh, we got some anglers in here. Uh, a, a fly fisherman is an angler because that, that, uh, that, that whatever, that hook comes in at an angle and you have to, the spe- specific angle, angle fools the fish into grabbing it. Everyone is an angler. And so being on campus for over a quarter century, everyone on campus is an angler, right? Uh, some of our most obvious anglers are, are fraternity boys. Where do they, and all they do all day long is angle for girls. That's all they do all day long. They angle for girls. They angle for girls. They're fishing for girls. Fishing for girls. Hi, my name is Bill. I fish for girls. That's what they do. <laughs> right? Uh, if you want to go to the UC schools, students are angling for grades, angling for that job, angling for that career. And that's what they do. They angle. They angle. They angle. That's what they do. Their whole life is angling. Everyone is an angler. It's just the question of what are you angling for? So just write this down right now. What are you angling for in your life? The, um, well, I just, I mean, I don't want to say this too strongly because Christ, if you know, okay, so this, this is, here we go. This is how I'll say it and we'll close. Here it is. Here's the question right here. Since Christ has already made you a fisher of men, are you fishing for men? If the answer is no, I want to say, how could that be? Because if Christ is in the boat of your life, how could you not be angling for men? How could it be? Help me understand. You will, Peter, become a uh, a fisher of men. And if you answer that question, what am I angling for and it's not for men, then I want to know, how can it be? How can you be a Christian and you're not angling for men? You're, You're not trying to bring people into the kingdom. How could it be? I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense with this text. The only thing that I could say, would, which would be the worst possible thing to say, which is I don't know how you could be a Christian and, and, and you're not angling for men. You're not trying to bring people in the kingdom because you're, you've already been made a fisherman. So if that's the case, I just would invite you this morning to just, I mean, it's okay, but just say in the quietness of your heart, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. Either I, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't think I am. Or um, I, I think I'm a Christian, but I, I'm actually not doing things that, that Christians do, which is try to bring people into the kingdom, which is fish for men. So either way, I would invite you in the quietness of your heart just to uh, repent and ask the Lord to forgive you for this and to change like Peter. Get on your knees. Get on your knees like Peter and say, I am a sinner. And invite Christ to come in and transform your life. Okay. Uh, dear Lord, um, thank, you for, uh, thank you for what you've done on our behalf. Thank you for your word, which is so amazing. We praise you for it. And um, Lord, just pray uh, for my heart and everyone else's hearts here that we would uh, digest this deeply.
into what truths you have for us. In, in your name, amen.